What is your deepest desire? I mean, the thing that you want the most for your life, either right now or the near future or the distant future, what do you want the most? Not the thing that you would say to other people. Okay, here's what I want. I want world peace. No, the thing that, not that you would tell other people, the thing that you want, your deepest desire. Now, if somebody who does not know you were to watch the movie of your life, and, and some of them wouldn't be allowed to watch the movie of your life, depending upon what it's rated, but if somebody who does not know you was to watch the movie of your life, what would they come away saying was your deepest desire? Now, they probably reached their decision based on a few things, right? How you spend most of your time, how you spend most of your money, whatever you have, how what you work for, plan for, hope for, long for, pray for. Wait a minute. If they take all that, they might get the wrong idea of what I most want. No, they would probably get the right idea. You and I might not like what that is, but they would. So, what's your deepest desire? Take a minute. Think about it. On your worksheet, there is a blank that says, My deepest desire is for blank. If you're brave, you could write down what that is or those things that that is. You don't have to, but you, you should get it in your mind. Right? Because we're referring to that. And it's important to have a baseline to start with. Why are we going here? Why are we asking what your deepest desire is, what my deepest desire is? Because your deepest desire may be the most important thing about you. The quality of your life and eternity depend on what your deepest desire is. Depending upon what your deepest desire is, you could either have a life and eternity of the best that God has for you, or you could have the best that you can find apart from God, which is really not the best, because it is gradual but continual, more and more separation from His love, from His light, from His life, from His goodness, from His grace, from His peace. And those are all things that you want. Right? In addition to his stuff. So, that all has to do with that. And this may be for some of us the truth, the message that keeps us from the most regret in the future. So, even in difficult parts, hang with me here. No matter what, no matter what you came up with, whether you wrote it down or you wrote it down in your mind, no matter what that is, as your deepest desire, there's great hope for you. There's great news because Jesus is in the mix. And wherever Jesus is, there's good news. There's great news. He's the God of good news. And, and in fact, look, look at what he came to, the news he came to share. He, Jesus, went through all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming, like sharing, publishing the gospel. Gospel, what that really means is good news, not just good news, great news, not just great news, like you just won the lottery, good news. That's the gospel. The gospel of what? The kingdom. And 
healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So Jesus is talking about this good news of the kingdom. What is the good news of the kingdom? The good news that Jesus is talking about is that he has come to bring the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, to earth with him, right? Into the kingdom of this world. It gets better. Because he is here, he is inviting all people who will acknowledge him as king and, and, and trust in him, right? To enter into the kingdom of God. He, regardless of who they are, regardless of what they've done, we're even talking about people who, who sell uh, you know, essential oils to their friends all the time. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Everybody, if they would trust in Jesus, right? If they would connect with him, can now enter into the kingdom of God. Now, some people, a lot of church people, believe that the gospel, the good news, is only about Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection. Now, Jesus' death and resurrection is certainly a huge part of the gospel, but there's more to it. And, and this entering and living in this kingdom of God, even as we walk in this kingdom of the world, that's part of it. When Jesus came at Christmas, it was like he created the door into the kingdom of God, this portal into this alternate, blessed, beautiful reality. And with his death on the cross for our sins as our substitute and his resurrection from the dead, he opened that so that you and I and everybody who trusted in him could now enter into that reality right here, right now. That's huge. That is huge. That is the best news ever. Now, what is the kingdom of God like that he's inviting us into? John Ortberg is one of my favorite authors and pastors out on the West Coast, just published a book called Eternity is Now in Session. He writes this. The kingdom of God, it is the sphere in which everything that happens meets with God's approval. Imagine this. And his delight. Everything is precisely as God wants it to be, where the greatest humble themselves like little children. There are no big shots, no arrogant egos, no one ever has an anxious thought. In fact, every encounter between people causes them to walk away with more joy than they had before they met. As the Apostle Paul says, the kingdom of God is a, it's not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Here's the best part. Watching over this whole realm as its greatest servant and most joyful caretaker is the magnificent God, the Father of Jesus, who is endlessly celebrated for his infinite self-giving love. This, Jesus said, is the kingdom of God, and it exists right now. Right now. And in fact, you and I are invited by Jesus to not only enter in, but dwell in, make this our dwelling place right now, forevermore. Even as we walk and love and work and play in, in this kingdom of the world. Now, I know that in a church setting, 
most of us, or many of us, believe that that is the reality of our lives. We are living in the kingdom of God. I also know, because Scripture says this, and I know me, that you and I have an extraordinary ability to fool ourselves. And so, it might be the case that some of us who think that we're actually living and dwelling and enjoying the kingdom of God are not. And if that's the case, I want all of us to know it so that we can do something about it. So what does this connect to our deepest desires? Because your deepest desires determine whether you and I are living in the kingdom of God or living in the kingdom of this world, which Jesus came to rescue us from, right? We're going to talk about how he does that. Or some of us are trying to live with a foot in each kingdom. And they're moving in different directions because they have different gods, right? Different bosses. And they ask different things of us. But we don't want to let go of one to have the other. And it's tearing us apart. And you feel that tension in your heart a lot and in your mind sometimes. And there's a solution to that. So rather than take my word for it, um, let's go right to the source. Let's talk to Jesus. Let him talk to us. Um, Luke chapter 17 is where we are. We're going to pick it up in verse 20. Uh, if you have one of the Bibles under, under your seat, I think you're on page 996, 97, right in that general area. But um, Luke chapter 17, picking it up in verse 20. Here we go. Here's being asked, Jesus is being asked by the Pharisees, and this is pronounced not a friend of Jesus, okay? He's being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. Like, okay, if you're the Messiah, where's the kingdom of God you're supposed to bring? And Jesus answered them. He said, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed or pointed to. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or, or there, over there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It's right in front of you. It's talking to you right now, and you didn't even recognize it. You see, the Pharisees and, and many of the Jews of that time had their idea of the kind of kingdom they wanted God to bring, and that was kind of a political kingdom. And we can relate to that because we're a very politicized country right now. right? They wanted an overthrow of the government. The Jews did not want to be dominated by the Romans, but to be the dominant, privileged class. They wanted to be in control. They wanted the honor. They wanted the prestige. They wanted the position. They wanted the wealth. They wanted the influence. Does that sound at all like the future that you desire. But because they wanted their own kingdom rather than the kingdom of God, when God stood before them offering it to them, they didn't even recognize him. So here Jesus says, look, I'm inviting everybody into my kingdom. I'm wooing. I'm, I'm, I'm yearning. I'm I'm trying to plead. I'm trying to reason. It doesn't matter how you work. I'll work on your level to communicate to you that I want you in the kingdom of God that I prepared for you, right? Not this broken, twisted, 
world. Even in the midst of that, you can enjoy this, live in this. And, and there is a time, and we're in that now, where, where Jesus invites, and Jesus draws. And, but there's coming a day when he will come and take his kingdom by force. And then there will be no changing of kingdoms. It will be over for invitations. It really is. And you say, that's not fair. Well, maybe. But when you have your own universe, you can do it any way you want. But until then, um, you're stuck with God's way. Okay, so he draws his friends around him, his disciples, and he says to them, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, my day, when I come back, and you will not see it. Things are going to get so bad. Some of you think we're there now. We say, God, you better come back now. I won't be there. I mean, I won't have made my return, right? And people are going to say to you, look there or look here. Now, if they do that, doesn't matter if it's your favorite podcast dude or dudette or whatever it is, don't go. They say, Jesus has come back and you have to come here or you have to do... No. He says, don't do it. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the entire sky from one side to the other. So will I be. So will the Son of Man be in His day. When I'm coming back, ain't nobody going to have to tap you on the shoulder and tell you. I will be unmistakable. Look, I'm ripping the heavens apart to make my appearance. It's going to be like God is coming back. Okay? That was a little joke. And the fact that He says it's going to be like the lightning storm of the universe means everybody's going to know. If you're deaf, you can see it. If you're blind, the thunder is going to shake the foundations of the earth. And everybody else, you're going to know. You're going to know. Then he says this, but first, he, I, must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. He's talking about his road to the cross. He knew that's what he had to do. You see, for people like you, for people like me, who have a sketchy past, right? And we do. Let's just be honest. And a present that is tied up in things that break God's heart, okay? He wants to bring us into the perfect kingdom of God to where we're not only treated as servants or subjects, but children of the king, in order for that change to happen, then the actual son of the almighty God has to take all of our brokenness upon him and pay for it. That's what he did. He went to the cross as your substitute, as your stand-in, taking all your junk, all your sin on himself and paying the price for that. And then rising again to show you that that is what he actually accomplished. That way, when you're in Him, you are washed completely clean, past, present, future. You can enter the kingdom of God now as a child of the King. Can you imagine that? That's what He refers to. But He must first be rejected. He must first go to the cross. Then He comes back and He's talking more about His return. His return when He comes back. And He says this, just as it was in the days of Noah. Hit pause. Hit pause right there. I just got to say this. 
it's gotten very popular and very um, in vogue to trash the fantastic, miraculous stories of the Old Testament as mythological. Uh, just there to teach us a lesson, but of course, this stuff didn't really happen, right? Yeah, some uh, people will say that uh, to make uh, Scripture more palatable or people's doubts. Um, you'll often hear this in school. Jesus said Noah happened. The ark happened. Okay? So one person is lying. It's either Jesus or the person who says that stuff's not true. Okay. Just put that in your file. So he says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be when I'm coming back in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. Again, the ark happened. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Now, it's important to realize Jesus' tone when he says this. He's not saying, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Boom! Got them! No. He says this with a lump in his throat because he doesn't want anybody destroyed. He doesn't want anybody destroyed. That's why he came. That's why he destroyed himself or let himself be destroyed so that we wouldn't have to be Right? Just as that. So what is this? They were eating and drinking and marrying and being good. Is that bad stuff? No. Absolutely not. That is not bad stuff. That is the stuff of everyday life. That is business as usual. That is family stuff, work stuff, sports stuff, schedule stuff, class stuff, obligations, home projects. Business as usual. Right? Here's the thing. The problem comes when the things of business as usual become our deepest desires. That's what happens. When we love God's stuff more than we love Him. Okay, he goes on. Likewise, another example. Just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building again. Not bad stuff, that's the stuff of everyday life. But we don't want to make it. We don't want to let it become our deepest desire. But on the day when Lot went out of Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. It destroyed them all. Now, he goes on. Let's do this. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop. Now, they used to build uh, these where that would be the, the, uh, a porch, right? On, on your roof, a flat roof, where you would relax. But if you are on the housetop and your stuff is in your house, do not come down to take your stuff. Likewise, the one who is in the field, not turn back. Do not do that. Um, why? Because if Jesus is your greatest desire, and your greatest desire shows up, don't go for other stuff. Because it just reveals that you had desires other than Him. Yeah, but i got to get my fill in the blank. Yeah, but I have to have my... No, He's my everything. So don't go back. Don't turn back. And then He throws this one down. He says, remember 
Lot's wife. Okay, if you want to get into like a scripture memorization program, start here. It's really short, easy to memorize. Remember Lot's wife, you get an A. Okay, what is he talking about? Remember Lot's wife. Well, she was in Sodom and Gomorrah with her husband and her family, and she got turned into a salt lick for camels, basically. Okay, if you want the whole story, it's in Genesis chapter 19, worth reading. I know the author, and, and you can too. So um, here's what happened to Lot's wife. God is saying, look, I have tried with this city. I have pleaded. I have shown them a better way. They refuse. I'm providing a way for you out. So I'm calling you to run. I'm going to give you one instruction. Do not look back, right? And it's less about the eyes than the heart, right? He's saying, don't yearn for what you're leaving behind. Because what you're leaving behind is leaving me behind. And some of you can relate to that. We think back fondly on things and days that broke God's heart and we romanticize them. So she's running and looks back and she is kept, she is turned into a pillar of salt. She, she is destroyed in a sense. It just completes what she was doing to herself. Right? God is not bringing something new upon her. But she lost out on the kingdom, if you will, that God had prepared for her, the escape, because she couldn't leave the life that she had behind. It was her greatest desire. I have a friend who um, was living outside of Los Angeles, and the fires came up, and the flames were approaching his backyard, right? So I'm, I'm on the phone with him, like not when he should be like running. And he had to evacuate, and I say, Rob, man, you guys are safe. Yeah, we're in a hotel. His wife is his little daughter. I said, what'd you guys take? And he said, not, not a lot, you know? Some like jewelry that's sentimental and documents and some pictures and hard drives and stuff. What would you take if that was you and you have to evacuate? Hey, when Jesus comes back, do not desire to take anything. Because if he is your all in all, if he is your greatest desire, then anything you leave behind is ashes compared to the treasure that he is. Um, here's a way to tell. I, I know some, some well-intentioned um, believers, uh, if, friends and, and things have said this, I know that I might die or Jesus might come back, but I don't want either of those two things to happen before I fill in the blank. Before I have a chance to, whatever that is. And that might be a very good thing that, that you would fill the blank in with. But let me say this, it's a red flag. Make sure that is not your deepest desire. Make him your deepest desire. And if he brings that about in his will, great. And if not, let it go. Let it go. Here it is. He says, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it, which means you have an open hand and a closed hand, one that is holding loosely and one that is holding tightly. And everything in this world and all the people in this world 
even those who are most, you hold them gratefully and loosely, all your hopes, all your dreams, loosely, and you offer them all to God. And you say, use them as you will because they're yours anyway. And the thing that you hold in the closed hand tightly is him. Look, my mama did this. Um, she had two babies uh, of my, my brother and my sister die. She lost her husband to death at the age of 42. Then she became a nun to marry Jesus. Okay? So here you have a woman who holds the precious things in her life loosely. The thing she is not going to let go of is Jesus. And she has more joy in her life than people who cling to everything precious in their life. And that's the message that Jesus is giving us. You seek to collect and keep and make sure you don't lose stuff. Right? The time when you had a windfall of money in your life, if you ever have, you never started worrying about money until after that. Now, how are you going to protect it? How are you going to keep it? How are you going to invest it? How are you going to spend it? How are you going to... I hope nothing happens to it. Why don't we do that about our faith? About our relationship? Hey, this is precious. I'm holding on to this. Whatever happens to my house, whatever happens to... What happens? This is my preciousness. Okay? I, I don't want to beat that down, but uh, that's where we're going. That's where we're going. And that determines whether the culmination... Now, you might be alive at the, when Jesus comes back. You might be. But regardless, if you're not, and you, you just die and, and, and you go into His presence, right? That moment, depending upon what your greatest desire is, is either going to be one of anguish and sudden and as everything that you have wanted gets ripped away from you, or it is going to be the culmination of receiving the fulfillment of everything beautiful you'd ever hoped for. That's what's at stake for each one of us with our greatest desire. He says, so I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. There will be two women grinding uh, meal, grain together. One will be taken and the other left. This is referring to the rapture. Jesus is removing people like Noah and his family, like Lot and his family, from He's, he's collecting those whose hearts are truly His, whose greatest desire is His appearing, and his, that, that's their greatest desires. And He's going to sort out and deal with the rest of the world. And even as He does that, if you're familiar with Revelation, um, there are invitations to come, even in the midst of the judgment. It's so beautiful, His heart for people. But He's saying, this is going to happen all at once, you can see that it's night some places. There are people sleeping. And some people, it's daylight. They're working. But it doesn't matter. It, all at once, this happens. Okay. And the bottom line is this. Your heart's desire reveals which kingdom you're living in. Which kingdom you're living in. Now, Jesus tells us how beautiful it can be to live in the kingdom of God. He says, therefore, he says this in Matthew, uh, gospel. he says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Don't be worried about anything. You and I, look, we are addicted to being anxious. 
We're addicted to being worried. In fact, sometimes we worry about two different things that are mutually exclusive, right? They can't mathematically, logically both happen, but we're going to worry about both possibilities, right? That's how much we love worry. He says, imagine a reality that I'm offering to you where you're not anxious or worried about anything. You never say, what are we going to eat? Oh, we're going to have enough to drink, or what are we going to wear? He says, for the Gentiles, and for our purposes, that means for people who are without me, people who don't know how much I love them. That's how they look. That's how they act. That's how they worry. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. The things we eat, the things we drink, the things we these are necessities. And he says, don't worry about the necessities you need for basic survival. What would he say about the, the wants that we have that not even in a first world country would they ever classify as needs, right? Don't worry about that. He says this. I'm going to give you two assignments. A, don't worry. B, seek first. Desire first. Make your greatest desire me in the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that everybody else worries about. I'm going to add them back to you. Are you getting that? This is like almost unimaginably good. He's saying, you got nothing to worry about. Okay, so refuse to worry because you're going to trust me. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to make me your deepest desire. In my kingdom, that is your desire. I'm going to take care of everything else in your life. Do you know somebody who's been faithful enough to trust that entirely? That doesn't mean you don't go to work. No, you do what he says, right? You, you be a good. doesn't mean you don't love your wife or your husband. You do. But everything else I'm taking care of, you make me first. You could be that person that says, I'm putting that to the test. I believe Jesus, and I believe I can have that reality. I want to make you my deepest desire. I want to be cared for like nobody's business. That's what I want. That's what I want. He says, so seek first the kingdom of God. Desire that deepest. Here's what people who desire first want. They want Jesus, the king. Look, you need a new house? No, just give me Jesus. You need this? No, look, I'll tell you, what I need is him. And that's it. That's it. If I have him, I got everything, Right? His will, not mine. You know, making plans, making this, making that. Look, God reserves the best future for those who leave the choice to him. His will is far better than yours. He sees the end from the beginning. Did you watch the Thanksgiving Day Parade? Did you watch that? You don't tape that? Oh, man, that's so much fun. You know, here it is. You are standing there only able to see what's passing in front of you. God sees it all. The end of the parade, the beginning of the parade, the middle of the parade, that's history. And he's got a plan for you in that. And since you can't see that, and even if you could, you're not smart enough, good enough to want what's best for you as it relates to you, him, and everybody else, why don't we just give him the choice? And we also want his kingdom expansion, not my lifestyle improvement. This is huge, right? This is huge. His kingdom expansion is people coming to know him because they know me. And, and they, 
they are blessed by my generosity, my mercy, my service, my prayers, my words, right? And to people growing in him, I want to find people, and I just, every time, I want to, I want to pour into them. That's what I care about, uh, them growing in love with Jesus and each other, right? But we found other ways to do this. We found other ways to do this, so we try to blend, right? We're going to blend kingdom. I want Jesus as Savior. I just don't want him as boss, as Lord and King, right? This is where I'm really into him forgiving my sin, washing me clean, no more guilt, going to heaven. But I don't want to follow his instructions when they conflict with my desires, my feelings, or what most people do and is societally accepted. Then you're fooling yourself, okay? The way to have his joy in his life is to follow him in every way, not just as Savior, but as Lord. Escapism, which is, get me out of here, right? This, this world's so messed up. I just want to go somewhere where it's not, or I, wanna, I just want to out, right? And Ortberg puts it perfectly. He writes this. Jesus has a different plan, right? He describes it in the world's most famous prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, here's my plan. I'm going to bring this up here, down here. That's what I'm going to do. Like a lot of Christians, Orberg says, I grew up praying the beam me up Scotty prayer from the old Star Trek series. I thought we were supposed to ask God to get us out of this messed up earth so we could go to heaven. But Jesus taught a different prayer. Not get me out of here so I can go up there, but make up there, come down here. Make things down here run the way they do up there. Right? Jesus told us to ask God to bring heaven, your kingdom, your will, down here to my office, my neighborhood, my small group, my family, my country, my team, my class, my, my everything. Starting with my life, my body, my little kingdom. Jesus' gospel involves the greatest offer of all time, the salvation, the rescue of your whole life, both now and then, not just getting you into heaven, but getting heaven into you. And I would add, and through you, getting heaven into this town, into this university, his kingdom come, his will be done in Gunnison as it is in heaven, at Western as it is in heaven. He is invading through love so that people can enter into his kingdom and not enter into judgment. Right. It's like finding the treasure in a field that you'd sell everything to possess and laughing all the way to the bank. It's that good. And he ends with this. The great question is this. Do you really believe it can happen? Do you really believe that the kingdom of God can be established on this earth starting with you? That you can experience that. not escapism. It's infection, right? And it's not best for me-ism. I want the best of this world, and Jesus is my man to help me get it. Okay? So easy. So easy for us to do. Because a lot of this has to do with the ways he's gifted you. And the way I'm going to make the most of my gifts is I got him, and he's going to promote me saying, no, 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 no. You're loving my gift to you more than the giver. Okay? 
You put me first. I will order that. I will take care of that. John Piper put it this way. Jesus Christ did not come into the world to assist you in meeting desires you already had before you were born again. He came into the world to change your desires so that he is the main one. That's why Jesus came. He didn't want to help you achieve your desires. He wants him to be your desires. That's it. Okay? So we can be a kingdom bringer as it is in Gunnison, as it is in heaven, and Western as it is in heaven. You, got the, you live in this joyful bubble of God's goodness and grace, no matter what happens, and it expands, and you want everybody you know in it, in it, in it. Man, this reality for that reality. And how are we going to make the things that we read about that are happening in the world, in the country, in, the, in our town, how are we going to come against that? We'll fight. Yeah? No, we're going to make enemies God's friends because that's what he did with us. Invite them. Invite them. Come. But they're not going to want something that they don't see you enjoying. So get in the kingdom. Make him your greatest desire. If you're like me, um, during the preparation of this, the Holy Spirit, like, just pressing on your heart, right? And, and a little tension there saying, maybe there needs to be a rearrangement of your greatest desire. And no shame in that. He only identifies that which he wants to heal and bless. So if he's doing that, here's what we need to do. Ask God, are my deepest desires for you and your kingdom? Or are they for something else? Are they for me? or for your stuff, or me to be this or that, right? Have him tell you. He already has, for, for many of you, he'll give you the opportunity to rewrite that blank that we talked about when we started. Here's the bad news. You cannot change your deepest desires. It's not by power of your will. You can't decide. I, any more than you could say, you know, you changed the color of your hair by just thinking about it. You can't do that. You can't change your deepest desires. Here's the good news. Jesus can and will if you ask him with all your heart. So I, I, I have a prayer here. And I, I printed it on the worksheet. So on the back of the worksheet is the prayer calendar for this week. I encourage you to use this because I can't tell you I've gotten more response from people who said, man, my relationship with God his reality in my life and what he's doing in my world is just blowing up because I'm praying more. I'm getting this scripture. I'm thinking about it. So do this. But for most of us, I would say almost all of us, on the flip side, flip it over each day and pray this prayer at the bottom. Now I'm going to pray it now and invite you into it. If you want to pray with me now, have at it. Silently, out loud, no matter. But here you go. Lord Jesus, I want to seek and desire you and your kingdom first above anything, everything, and anyone else. Even above even good things like my family, work, dreams, success, needs, and survival, and certainly more than my wants. Help me want you, your kingdom, and your will more than 
anything. Forgive me for my deepest desires not being for you. Please change my heart and my desires to yours. Let me tell you one of the things that will happen when he grants this prayer for you. When Jesus makes him your deepest desire, you will live a life of always having what you want most. You will live a life of always having what you want most. And those other things, important as they are, you are going to see them handled by a God who loves you in a way you didn't even know you had the right to be taken care of. That's why he rips the Band-Aid off. Because he wants to heal him deep, deep down. You can have so much more than you're now experiencing. But you and I have to let him in and say, got to change this. Got to change this, or I am prone to want your stuff for my way. And that's going to unravel it all. Take us home. What's important is not what Tom says to you, it's what God says to you. You follow me? I know he's speaking to you. I just encourage you. Do what he says. Do business with him. He wants you as close as you can possibly be right now and forever. That back row right there, they're prayers. They will pray for you. If you have this need, any other need, I'm going to camp out over here. If you need somebody to walk you through something, I'm happy to do it. Okay? Don't do this alone. It's a team sport. We're going home when it just gets better.